to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here uh, joined by Martin uh, Techno Willis. And, Techno! Uh, yeah, because, okay. you know, uh, we were just talking tech, and you, you always try to do these fancy high-tech things with your show, which uh, unfortunately often end up in disaster. That is true. It's a, <laughs> a work in progress. Um, those that listen to my show, um, most people put up with it. Um, well, they should because it's worth putting up things. with. But yeah, and, and it's funny because you know when I join you on Wednesdays, I never know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to be on time. <laughs> I don't know, you know, what's going to be going on. But uh, of course, I always have fun either way. Yeah, yeah, it's always great having you on. Whether you appreciate the fun that I'm having or not, I have fun. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Glad you got your expense. But uh, yeah, so that's, and I have a surprise for you. Oh, no. Oh, uh, speaking of tech, I should say, and uh, this is really fun. And you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm traveling all the time or I'm vacationing. A lot of my travel has to do with stories and writing. Um, And and I'll probably even be doing more of that because I've... You know, I told you about this. I started up this new website called modernamerican.news. Mm. I mean, it's not completely ready for launch, but people can go there and read a lot of my stuff. But I'm going to have some other friends who are writers uh, write on it. Uh, a more official launch I'm going to try to do by the end of the month. Um, some of the people who wrote for Huffington Post, like Mark D'Antonio or uh, or John Alexander, um, contributed on there once in a while, but they, they can't anymore. And so... Uh, they're going to be posting on my site. So it's going to be really cool, just kind of a new new site. And it's just for kind of light news, you know, fun stuff, like all the space stuff I write about. Or uh, I'm going to write more travel stuff too because I go to so many places. Awesome. So next week I'm going to be at the uh, NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters Conference, which oh, yeah. I believe is the largest conference in Vegas that or the porn one, I'm not sure which. And, and I'm not even kidding. I think those are literally the two biggest. Um, wow. You don't hear much about... Why don't about, they combine the two? You know, I mean... Yeah. A twofer, you well, know? Yeah, that's not so a bad to speak. idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mm. so to speak. Um, the They combine them because uh, the... Or uh, they don't combine them. You got me confused. <laughs> The yeah. NAB, you don't hear much of because it's mostly for kind of industry people. It, it's it's radio and uh, video. And by video, I mean it's like television and, you know, streaming and movies. So you have all these audio and video and all the latest tech when it comes to all of that stuff. It's right. really amazing, amazing kind of production. And they have event um, production stuff, which, of course, Karen and I do in the Congress, you know. 
uh, we want to go look at ideas for that. So I'll be in Vegas next week. Speaking of tech, looking at some cool tech. But uh, yeah. yeah, so maybe I'll come a- back with some ideas of things for you to use that you wow. can kind of uh, entertain people with. That is amazing. Um, now, I remember when you went out there a couple of years ago and got the GoPro, right? Am I right about that? Oh, I i don't know that I've ever bought anything there. Often I get ideas and sometimes I'll buy stuff later because uh, ah. I'll look for deals uh, and usually find them on Amazon. But um, I d- probably did some GoPro footage from there before. Now, tell me, the new website that you will be launch- launching, will that also have audio or video and or? Not um, currently. So uh-huh. uh, we, we do have some ideas to do some podcasts in the future, but not currently. Um, so, yeah, you can get the idea if you go, if anybody goes there right now, modernamerican.news. So I'll be talking more about that as time goes on and some of the cool stuff we'll be doing over there. Uh, it will largely not be UFO related, but mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll hopefully have some other cool news about writing opportunities I have also uh, in the near future. So I'll uh, let people know about that. Exciting stuff ahead. That is. Including my guest for the show. I'm waiting. And I know you'll be surprised by this and hopefully jealous. That's my goal is to make you jealous because <laughs> uh, you do that to me sometimes. And That's what it's all about. If you yeah. had gotten this guy, I would have been jealous. And, and, you know, you and I think alike often with guests. So luckily uh, you didn't ask him first. But my guest, let's see if you recognize the name. If you don't recognize the name, you'll recognize who he is, which is the exciting part. Uh, his na- name is Tyler Rogaway. Uh, do not recognize, but I did send him an email before you. I tried to get him as a guest. Before. No, I'm just kidding. Who, no, I don't know who he is. Now, uh, he goes by Ty, and he is the guy who broke the story for the big story you want to talk about, I know, right now which is this this pilot sighting um, over Arizona and New Mexico. Oh, all right. So well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, this is super exciting for several reasons. First of all, because this is a big story and it's all over the media. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, the other reason is that he is uh, a journalist, and I love speaking with journalists, you know. Uh, um, that's why I created this modernamerican.news, because uh, me and my journalist friends, you know, uh, love to share stories, and so this gives us a place to do that. Um, and he's an a- aviation. He he mostly writes about defense, and you know, um, we've talked about this before. I think when we've talked about this story, is how it was broke by this website called The Drive. And Tyler or Ty, mm-hmm. as he likes to go by, writes for this section called The War Zone, which is defense, and it's cool. I mean, it's all what Skunk Works is up to. Uh, Skunk Works, of course, being um, part of Lockheed Martin that developed the SR-71 and South, and they work out of Area 51. Um, So he's been writing about all this stuff for a while, and lately he's written about UFOs. Um, Because this is another reason that it's so exciting to talk to him right now. He actually had a story that he wrote before this one that's making the big news that's an even better UFO sighting with more witnesses, with radar, this happened uh, over California and Oregon, and we'll talk to him about this. But you guys have to get f- yourself familiar with it because this is an even better story. So 
I oh. actually started writing stories about these last uh, week, and then I decided, you know what? I'm going to try to get a hold of this guy. I would just love to talk to him. And luckily, he responded quickly, and we were able to arrange this quickly. So to me, this is one of my most exciting interviews in, in quite some time, along with like Elizondo. I love to talk to people in the mainstream, get yeah. their perspective as to why they don't cover typically cover UFOs um, and, and you know, in this case, why they feel more, he feels more comfortable doing that and his experience doing that and talking with and working with uh, the government or ex or military people about this topic. And I think everybody's going to find a lot of what he has to say very interesting. Wow. This is uh, one I cannot wait to listen to, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, this is one of the, the benefits from uh, Elizondo coming out about the Department right. of Defense because now mm-hmm. more and more people are f- professionals are feeling more comfortable talking about you know their interest or work in this arena. One of the listeners to my show, uh, you know, we're friends on Facebook, and he was starting a UFO show, a podcast. He had it all lined up, and he's a tennis coach and at a high school. And uh, he has to disclose anything he's doing outside of, you know, work. And they said, no way, you can't do it. <laughs> so I was kind of surprised. I, I would think that more people would be. And he uh, was a high school relaxed. teacher? He's a high school uh, coach, a uh, tennis coach. That's ridiculous. Isn't it? And I just wow. feel as though, you know, uh, I would think that after the Pentagon, that's, I wrote him, I said, even after the Pentagon, you know, came out and said that they had a secret program studying UFOs. They still feel that way. And uh, yes, they don't want anything to do with it. Wow. what a, That's very frustrating. That's that's absolutely mm. ridiculous. That's uh, too bad for him. Yeah. Right. Um, that's really too bad. I know. I know. Shocking. Shocking. So let's uh, get into the news. And um, I know part of your news uh, was about this very story that Ty is responsible for breaking, which unfortunately a lot of news outlets uh, have not given him credit for uh, yes. breaking this story. Well, I was uh, I got this story off of ABC News, and they did indeed credit um, his work, uh, not him in particular, but um, they did credit the site. Uh, they sourced it. So two pilots on different aircraft uh, reported having a close encounter with a mysterious object flying high above the Arizona uh, above Arizona last month, according to the Federal Aviation Administration. The sighting occurred within minutes of each other on the afternoon of February 24th, some 40,000 feet above southern Arizona near New Mexico border. And ABC News obtained the audio recording of the conversation between the pilots and the Albuquerque Air Route Traffic Control Center released by the FAA. The recording was first reported by the War Zone, of course. And that's also part of uh, Time uh, Time Inc., mm-hmm. um, the drive. Big so deal. Any, yeah, that is. And uh, so anyway, I, I was going to play. Is it, is it all right if I play the uh, recording for the people who haven't heard it? Yeah, that's great. I think that's a great idea because during the interview, I didn't get to – I thought that would be kind of something neat to do. But, of course, as it is with great interviews, they, at the time flew. So I didn't get a chance yeah. to do that. So I'm glad you're doing this so people can be more familiar with what we'll be talking about. Okay. So it's just under a minute. It's going to go right now. Anybody that's uh, above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago? There's 7-1 Papa Golf negative. Okay. 
American uh, 1095, uh, let me know if uh, you see anything pass over you here in the next uh, 15 miles. You know if anything passes over? American 1095, affirmative. We had an aircraft in front of you that's uh, 37 that reported something pass over him, and uh, we didn't have any targets. So just uh, let me know if you see anything pass over you. It's American 1095. Yeah, something just passed over. So, uh, like a, don't know what it was, but it's at least two, three thousand feet above us. So yeah, it passed right over the top of us. Okay, American 1095. Thank you. Was anybody So that's it. Pretty interesting in that little blurb, huh? Yeah, this is some new news also that uh, has come about since my interview. I interviewed. Ty just yesterday, but this is a new story, and that one of those pilots that we just heard uh, actually spoke to uh, their local paper, um, and, and let's see, this is in Texas, so one of those pilots was from Texas, and here's what he said. He said that um, Albuquerque Center asked us if we could look and just be on the lookout and see if we see anything, so you heard that, where, you know, the the Albuquerque Center had said, hey, does anybody see this? So uh, the, the pilot said he looked, and sure enough, he saw something that was about two to 3,000 feet above him. He said, it was very bright, but if it, it wasn't so bright that you couldn't look at it. You know, you almost wanted to look at it to try to figure out what it was. It didn't look like anything like an airplane. You know, most airplanes, you're going to see some kind of wing surface, some type of tail, Really, no matter what type of airplane it is, uh, he continued, what is weird about it, normally if you have an object and the sun is shining this way, the reflection would be on this side, but this was bright all the way around. It was so mm. bright that you really couldn't make out what shape it was. Um, he said he wasn't wow. scared. He was just really fascinated um, trying to figure out what the heck it was. Wow. That is something else. Yeah, and you also heard in there some people thinking, you know, they said maybe it's a balloon, and, and one of the pilots said doubtful. And, of course, we'll hear, right. hear Ty's experience yeah. with uh, uh, this idea of a balloon. Um, but they've they've mostly ruled it out, um, the balloon explanation. So, yeah, this was an, an interesting sighting. Um, and, and it's been all over the place, CNN, ABC, um I would assume Fox has had it, but uh, yeah, it even in the news today. If you go look at UFO, there's there's tons of stories on this sighting, right? And again, just like you said, I think that uh, the media is uh, much more apt to report on something like this and yeah. take it seriously and not play that silly uh, music or whatever it is they usually do. Right, you know, right. Yeah, the smirks. They yeah. are taking this one much more seriously, which is great. Um, I, I really just feels like a turning point where at least for now, you know, right. there's a little bit of this window to um, to take this stuff seriously. You know what's frustrating? And it's almost like by design. And I don't know what it is. There's another kind of phenomena. And uh, I just got to point it out because it is one of the struggles that goes on in this field. It almost seems like many in the UFO field, UFO quote-unquote researchers, and I'm not going to name names, but um, they're kind of fighting the, this trend for this, you know, taking UFOs seriously, you know, tooth and nail, which is unfortunate. And I think they just kind of feel territorial and they don't like it when CNN or 
Fox <laughs> News or other are covering this because and so what they do is they kind of double down on the crazy or I, maybe I shouldn't say crazy, but at least unsubstantiated, more fringe type of ideas. And um, it's unfortunate because I think that all of this headway that's been made, um, hopefully these people will feel strongly enough to continue uh, taking this topic seriously. But, you know, uh, when people are, are so um, fervently attached at, to some of these real more speculative ideas and they, they really reach out and push their ideas, um, uh, you know, it, it again, if they get when they get a lot of attention, then it makes people feel like, wow, you know, this is just there's too much um, goofiness here. I just don't want my name attached to it. And, That's too uh, bad. It, it's those people, in my opinion, are are doing things for the wrong reasons. You know, they're they're involved in it for the wrong reason. Obviously, if it if it's if they need to somehow fulfill something um, on their own that they're not getting and and causing that, then you know they're not doing it for the right reason. And and it's great. I think you know a, a lot of this also is related to this idea of kind of this territorial. Uh, type of issue where people kind of want to have their own information in their own, you know, kind of gather it and keep it to themselves and uh, as opposed to being more cooperative. And I think it's just so cool and so amazing to have all of these great people um, like Elizondo or some of the other TTSA people, people, the people that, you know, Tom DeLong's working with and um, uh, some of these journalists it's great to have their input and help in looking into mm-hmm. these sorts of things because, you know, like, like anything, it takes all types. And um, I know I, I, I talked to some of these people, like talking to Ty, you know, I understand his perspective. I've heard his perspective before. And these, in my opinion, are people who would be open to whatever um, turns out to be uh, the nature of the phenomena um, as long as they have evidence to support that i would have never guessed you know a few months ago that you know certain figures in the news are actually taking this serious and doing such great reporting on it yeah i agree it comes to like don lemon and um you know cn uh fox actually had some a couple of really good um interviews Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean kudos to them yeah i agree one thing that still needs to happen, and I think this education is still happening, um, is detaching that that term aliens from the term UFO. UFO is mm. unidentified, not necessarily alien. And unfortunately, even I think Don Lemon or some of these others, um, you know, just because these people are saying they're investigating UFOs, they immediately say, why do you think there are aliens? Why do you think aliens are visiting us? And And it's like, you know, uh-huh. and th- we just have to educate them. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that we have, um, you know, aircraft that is demonstrating characteristics that are demonstrating characteristics that are don't appear to be and uh, along the lines of anything that we can do currently. Um, and so we don't know what these are. Um, so I think as more mm-hmm. and more people hear that. Um, so, yeah, right. <laughs> um, hey, did you um, did you read? It's posted on your website as a link. Mm-hmm. How um, Seth Shostak is? It's saying in Newsweek that he's 
He's debunked the latest video, but he doesn't really, and the article doesn't really say that. It just says that it's not uh, real convincing. That's all he says. But did you see what video that was? No. Oh, I never clicked that link. No, which one is that? So it's a video from this guy, Jason Gleaves, um, and it's on the website UFO only. So it's like, who cares? You know, um, it's it, it's such it's kind of frustrating. So SETI scientists debunks latest UFO footage. They go online. They choose some random crappy UFO video from YouTube because, of course, YouTube ah. is full of these videos that show up every day. Sure. And Seth Shostak debunks it. Big deal. We do that every day on our shows, you know, <laughs> uh, for better or worse, because there's so many bad videos out there. So it's kind of frustrating because um, it is. Why would they do that? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Why would they do that? Now, if he had something to add to some of these videos that are coming from the Department of Defense, that would be, you know, then we would have something to argue about and something actually worth writing about. But um, I'm going to say that's. Oh, pardon me. I'm going to say that's clickbait. Yeah. You know, by by mainstream major magazine. Yeah, because it's really a, a an effort and futility it adds nothing to nothing um okay so people post really bad ufo videos on youtube we knew that there's that's not changing that's not really adding to the conversation right right Hmm. yeah so i'm frustrated yeah i did have that one up and uh that is kind of interesting that that they chose to do it that way because i like you was thinking oh you know what he must be talking about this third video Released by the DOD. Yeah, I read but, it through now. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah. that was not it, those goofballs. Yeah. So one more thing, mm-hmm. if uh, you don't mind if I bring it up, is uh, I noticed that the Chinese, um, the space station did not land on anyone's head. I don't know if you yes. heard the odds of it was uh, you had a thousand times more of a chance winning the Powerball. That's, that was according to one of the scientists than it landing on you. Oh, really? <laughs> That's hilarious. So, so And yeah, yeah. luckily, uh, if people didn't hear about this, the Chinese had a space station up there, that a small one. It was only like two modules. And um, like most space stations, we even did this with the Skylab. You know, they just decided to burn it up in the, uh, the atmosphere and cross mm-hmm. their fingers that no chunk of it hit any people. Um, but luckily, I guess this thing did mostly burn up in the atmosphere over the Pacific Ocean. And, of course, with 70% of the the, the uh, planet being ocean, they can yeah. bet that most likely they're going to land over the ocean and no one will get hurt. But, uh, yeah, it burned up. Probably no pieces might have not even made it to the planet because um, uh, they said it, it mostly burnt all up. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, I know Thank people goodness. were worried about it and uh, really nothing to worry about. Um, I mean, the odds are so, so low. But you never know. There might be like a dolphin out there wearing an ice pack or something. Yeah, you never know. Never know. And the last thing, we only have a minute, but I'll say it really quick, is that there's another story, one by Newser, about people in Chile being so upset about people digging up these uh, skeletons, uh-huh. especially fetuses, uh, uh-huh. in the desert and then claiming that they're alien, um, like it's happened 
you know, recently and we've seen stuff in the news. And the way I uh, make an analogy, because people are like, well, what if it is an alien? Well, you know, how would you like someone coming to your family's, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, graveyard and digging up fetuses or, or anything that they think is weird? And just because they think it's weird claiming it's alien or a hybrid human alien, you probably wouldn't like that. Yeah, good point. All right, we are all out of time. Thanks for joining us, Martin. Thank you. And, uh, of course, this is Martin from Podcast UFO, so check him out. After the break, we will be back with Ty from The Drive, uh, the War Zone section. So super excited to talk to Ty. Uh, This is really great. I'm so happy he could participate. Um, So after the break, we'll be back with Ty. Uh, For those of you listening on KGRA, you'll hear a a few commercials. Those of you listening on the podcast will hear a short musical interlude. We'll be right back. Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. Uh, my name is Alejandro Rojas, and I'm very excited to have a defense reporter, Tyler Rogaway. And of course, we've talked recently about this sighting over Arizona um, and New Mexico by these uh, pilots. And the guy who did the research to break this story, even without credit from all these mainstream media sources, is Tyler Rogaway. So I'm very excited to talk to him. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Hey, great to be with you. And and you go by Ty? Is that what I should call you? Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Ty, Tyler, it's up to you. Your choice. Okay, great. Now, I want to get into the details of these these cases that you've reviewed, but I know we're going to get swept away with all those details. It'll be really exciting because they're they are exciting. But so first, I want to talk a little bit about you and your perceptions of kind of the whole UFO phenomena. Um, but yeah, if you could give us a little bit of background. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I, I do defense reporting, uh, you know, specializing in air warfare, but we do everything, you know, cyber, everything else. So we don't really report on, uh, you know, the U- the classical UFO anything. I mean, it doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of secretive projects and stuff, but we don't have that overlap usually. Um, but I'll tell you, anybody that's in the aerospace world, especially in journalism, and will tell tells you that they have no interest in the, you know, legacy of uh, UFOs and the whole history that goes along with it is lying to you. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing, even just for the, the sake of lore and intrigue. Okay. Um, so I followed it very closely, uh, you know, all, all my years since I was a kid, you know, I know the main sightings and the main, you know, experiences that, that people talk about, at least the ones that seem the most credible. Um, and, uh, you know, I keep those kind of in my back pocket because a lot of times when people see things in the sky, it could potentially be maybe not a you know outer space craft, but maybe something the government is uh, is testing that we don't know about. So there's a, there is a good spill over there that you know that I have to keep an eye on at all times beyond just my own interests. That being said, I'm an aviation photographer. I pointed very long lenses up to the sky for years and years and years, and I've never seen one thing that I couldn't explain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been on most of the bases that people report that there's, you know, secret drones flying out of and, you know, aliens and everything else, you know, and I've never seen one thing that was out of place. In fact, it was anything but. So, 
you know, bottom line is the hyperbole that goes along with this subject. Uh, the fact that there's a, that there seems to be a phenomenon where many people just want to be a part of it in some ways so badly that anything they see is a UFO or secret government conspiracy against them or whatever really hurts, um, kind of the, the, the good reports that we do have that have multiple witnesses that aren't explained and that we know that the government is even interested in as well. So I'm, that's kind of where I stand on it. Um, you know, it's kind of a love hate relationship, but I, I love the history. I love the lore of it. I just wish that it was taken more seriously by the people that go out there and report it. The other thing I have to say is there's a lot of people that do this work in this particular segment of information, if you will, that make a career out of perpetuating nothing but lies and BS. And they are on the History Channel every day. <laughs> They're on TV. They've done a great job of creating a little cottage industry about um, about something that a lot of people are interested in. But the sad thing is it does nothing but a disservice because they don't try to disprove anything. They just want more material to pimp out and try to you know line their pockets. And that's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad that you're saying this because I think it's for important for people to remember and to hear perspectives from people like you who work, uh, you know, uh, writing about defense um, to hear that, you know, how damaging that other stuff, other material can be. And but that, you know, there are a number of people like yourself that do take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, there's like, just for instance, I get stuff sent to me all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Not just what people see in the sky or reports or anything else, but just like even weird UFO videos on YouTube and stuff. I mean, just randomly because the reporting I've done in the segment in that in the area. But, you know, I just a couple days ago, I saw a YouTube video about some old guy, old man that was said he was dying. And he was giving a kind of a recollection of, you know, him being part of all these secret programs and UFOs in the 1950s and 60s. And, you know, a guy that I'm not going to name names, and I don't even know the guy's name. I just noticed him from being on all over the TV for the last 10 years on the History Channel and Discovery and everything else, was interviewing this guy. And this guy was spouting nothing but BS and was that the timeline didn't even make any sense. It, the stuff he talked about, actual military capabilities, was not accurate at all. So the guy was, was, it was full of it. It was just a fake deal, right? Mm -hmm. And the person that was doing the interview, which knows more about probably all that than I do, clearly could easily debunk it, but that wouldn't make for a good YouTube uh, video. Mm -hmm. This is just a little microcosm of, I think, one of the major problems is with the study of this um, this potentially very real phenomenon and, uh, and kind of why we've been stuck probably in the same place for so many years without moving it forward in any uh, significant way. Mm -hmm. Well, it's easy to uh, make assumptions, and, and a lot of people do that. It's harder to do what scientists do, uh, to, you know, the rigor of it, and, and what you do or journalists do. And, and like you said, you know, when you look into the details, the timelines just don't work, let alone, uh, you know, if you, if you look into the projects they're referring to or the places, nothing pans out. Um, but right. people want to believe so badly that when you tell people that, because that's how I feel often telling people, well, the timelines don't work out, this doesn't work, and they just seem to get upset with you. Yeah, very much so. And even people send me, uh, you know, I mean, I got a rash of emails after the first report I did about the Oregon UFO. 
I mean, hundreds. Mm. And people were sending me all these different things. And I love I, I loved to interact with my audience. So that's mm-hmm. great, you know. But people say, hey, I've been shooting these objects. I've been, you know, I, I'm top photographer with it. I end gear. I, you know, I want to share these with you. And I'd say, oh, hey, you know, love to take a look. Just heads up. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play along. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, it sends me the pictures. And I'm like, hey, listen, this is just, you know, X, Y, and Z. I've seen it in my own images. And I can know exactly what's going on with your camera, why you're getting these images. And, you know, they come back and, you know, call your name, swear at you, and, or threaten you. <laughs> Um, so listen, that's it. That's anything in life when it comes to journalism. Right. You know, some people just want to believe what they want to believe, but it's tough with a subject that's already so dismissed, mm-hmm. uh, where you have such a, you know, the most fa- fantastical, um, viewpoints get the most airtime. Right. And like I say, that's what really hurts us when we do have good reports and we do have people doing good work and are interested in, in this segment. Um, and that could maybe move it forward, uh, you know, as far as the discussion goes. But we're kind of still, I think, stuck in that fantasy realm. And that's too bad. Mm-hmm. Now, looking at your the website that you write for The Drive, uh, I, I did look through for other UFO stories. And it looks like your story back in November about this Oregon incident uh, was the first one that um, – well, the, the, your latest two stories actually were the only ones tagged UFO, it seems. Uh, and this Oregon one, of course, deals with uh, an unknown, unidentified aircraft. Um, so, yeah, it, like you said, it, this isn't kind of a realm that uh, the drive dives into uh, often. And is do you feel more empowered or more emboldened to be able to write on this topic given the recent revelations from the Department of Defense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we went to um, publish our first report on the Oregon deal back in, you know, mid early to mid-November. Can't remember the exact date, but um, and then the, uh, you know, the about the threat program from the Pentagon came out. Um, multiple sources reported it uh, on a weekend in mid-December. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, a lot of people really linked the two kind of together. Not just because they're related, really, um, you know, necessarily at least, but because they're both kind of like one was directly from the Pentagon, proving maybe that my report had a little bit more weight to it than Mm -hmm. not, considering that they're so interested in this, they're paying millions of dollars to still research this. And this is a program that we know about, you know, what don't we know about, obviously, is the big question. And um, yeah, it really helped out. So when we did our follow-up on that original report, which had all the audio from the FAA, the phone calls and everything, the response was even, um, I would say, uh, even better from it, uh, not just in traffic, but in people really engaging in the content, trying to learn more, trying to kind of make up their own opinion at what they were hearing. And obviously the one with this Learjet and, and this Airbus over uh, Nevada, or excuse me, Arizona, I mean, that thing has gone on every single outlet around the world. So mm-hmm. I have definitely seen an increase in interest and in the, um, let me put it this way, in the mainstream media's willingness to report on some of these incidents uh, since that report came out from the for, about the Defense Department's threat analysis uh, project. Yeah. You know, because one thing that's been interesting is that, and, and you probably know this, for decades we've had issue, uh, incidents where jets are scrambled and they just don't know what's going on. Anecdotally, those of us who look into them know that some of the pilots and witnesses are, are you know, completely amazed by the occurrence, but it's still 
difficult to get the media to pay attention because they want to hear from, you know, the guy with the goofy hair who's on the History Channel or they want to hear some of these more sensational type stories. But it is great that stories like yours now, the more credible ones, seem to be um, being taken more seriously by the media. Yeah, I, I agree. And it makes my job easier, too. Because when, like, for instance, when I picked up the phone to the FAA to try to get that um, that audio released for the Learjet incident over um, Arizona, you know, we had to go through a long FOIA process, uh, not that long, but it was a little bit involved to get them the, about the first incident for have the, to have the FAA release the information. You know, when I called the second time, they were much more, you know, easygoing about it. They were fine. They said, hey. We'd be happy to release it because it, you know, it's out there. Um, it was on, you know, open radio communications, and they didn't even know it, ex- it happened mm. until I alerted it to the kind of the time frame that it did, and they were able to look into it. So yeah, definitely see a little bit of change there, and it's a positive thing. But um, will it be sustained? You know, I don't know. Right, and that's one of the the, the most exciting parts for me because, like you said. Uh, you know, I've called the FAA on different situations, and they don't even want to discuss it. They're like, you know, call the civilian organizations that uh, deal with this. And these are people typically who, you know, they've just got a website and they're posting sightings. They're certainly not people who are doing any sort of serious investigation. Um, although sometimes they would refer you to Bigelow Aerospace, which was doing secret or serious information, but they weren't really sharing any of their results. Um but yeah, to see that, you know, they were so open with you and it seems any other media outlet that has requested this audio has been a big change in how they've handled this this uh, situation in the past. I thought so, too. And before with the Oregon event, I was able to pull pieces of, of the audio and show it to them. And, mm. you know, that I already had it um, and we just wanted more. Right. That was the kind of the initiative that we were putting in front of them saying, we want more audio, we've got 15 minutes. So they couldn't deny that, that something happened, okay? With this one, you know, I had to forensically put together basically kind of a where these airplanes were in space and time, and, you know, it was, it, this just came off, the, 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 the Arizona one was just a tip from a pilot that was in the area that overheard some communications. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, I, barely, I didn't really have an exact time frame to, to deal with. So we spent, you know, days putting it together and then presenting it to the FAA, and they could have just said, hey, pal, you know, we don't have – put it through FOIA. We're not going to look for the audio. But they weren't. We, there was a great guy at Albuquerque Center um, who said, hey, happy to help you. Let's go well, – we'll look for it. And he gave me the backstory and released it within, you know, just I would say 24 or 48 hours. I had that tape. That's amazing. So, so yeah, that is a change. I don't know if that's because I got the right guy or the circumstances were different. In, in the Arizona one, you know, F-15s weren't scrambled. They weren't on um, the emergency network talking to each other the whole time. So there isn't any of that sensitivity. But still, it was a much different, you know, it was a much different deal. I mean, on the Oregon one, the F-8, it took a week for them to get back to me, period. And by the time that they finally did, I had already gotten the confirmation from NORAD that the event took place. Mm-hmm. So a very different experience, you know, uh, can't exactly tell why, but it does seem like there's some change there. Yeah, that's amazing. That's that. just your experience is amazing because even with NORAD, you know, NORAD and FAA are, are the two that typically you run into these brick walls in the past. But it seems like there's at least a little bit of uh, 
opening up. And I did want to touch on one more thing before we get into these cases we've been referring to is this uh, the secretive projects that you also follow and, and write about, because that's that's an, kind of another funny area when it comes to UFOs. One thing that I've always reminded people is that even if we even if something is after an investigation is determined to be unidentified, uh, there's no doubt a large percentage of those are just aircraft that we're not aware uh, that they exist. Um, you know, secretive aircraft, uh, unmanned drones, uh, who knows, other you know high performance aircraft uh, being worked on out of Area 51 or, or elsewhere, um, and it's kind of a lot of the. Uh, researchers or the field kind of lend a blind eye to that fact. Um, they get so excited to identify uh, or come to a conclusion of unidentified that once they do, and even if they substantiate that, um, so quick to look at other explanations other than the obvious that these could be top secret aircraft. Right. And if you look at like, well, first we know uh, this from, you know, the past, the CIA and everything else and the air force, the SR-71 Blackbird, the U-2, and, you know, even uh, other platforms that were largely the cause of a bunch of reports for over a period of time in the 50s and 60s. So we know that that was the case. Now, fast forward to the 1980s, where you have the introduction of flying wings, you know, via the B-2 in the late 80s, um, and obviously some test articles that probably existed before that airframe was actually rolled out, you know, that we'll never know of. Um you know, a flying wing in, in general, and this is a lot of the higher-end unmanned combat air vehicles, which are called UCAVs, they're like fighter-sized tactical aircraft, okay? These aren't like Predator drones or Reaper drones. These are jet-powered flying wings. If you look at any flying wing, if you view it from different angles, it looks totally different. If you view it head-on, it looks like a big, you know, like a thin wedge flying at you. If you view it from the side, it looks exactly like a flying saucer. Exactly. I mean, it's... Like 100% flying saucer, if you view it edge on, if you look down the wing. And then from underneath, it looks like some bat from another planet, you know, mm-hmm. so some mechanical bat-shaped object. So just that alone, you know, is something to take into account. And that is an area, especially in the UCAV space, unmanned combat air vehicle space, is an area that is um, a lot of developments going on behind closed doors. That technology was proven in the 2000s. It was the largest revelation um, in air warfare since the jet engine, and it just totally disappeared by the end of that decade. And now the Air Force won't even discuss it. It's like it doesn't even exist. So, I mean, the Navy has played around with it. We've seen them land the X-47B demonstrator, which is like a flying wing from Northrop Grumman, on their aircraft carriers. They've um, done an air refueling with that same system, but that's it. And so, you know, this incredible new breakthrough, which could replace um, a lot of the missions that shorter range fighter aircraft do that are man fighters that are much more expensive. Um, and, you know, you lose them, you lose a pilot in enemy territory on and on. Um, they could replace a lot of those aircraft um, for a lot less money and, and more efficiently. And when you network work them together in swarms, you know, of six to 10 to 12 aircraft, they can react potentially faster than the enemy can and break his decision cycle. So you're seeing a mm. leap in a potential massive leap in technology and air combat capability that is obviously very attractive, but we don't hear anything about. So when you look at the night sky, you see something weird or, you know, you see something that is maybe not you know easily explained, especially in an area where there's test ranges, you know, over the Gulf of Mexico 
obviously Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, those areas, you know, there's a good chance that that might be just a, a, an exotic-looking airplane that is, guess what, underneath its incredible skin, it's got a jet engine, it's got some computers that fly, some landing gear, and a weapons bay. You know, it's, a, it's mm-hmm. not that crazy of a machine. So definitely a lot of stuff going on there. And that's the lower end of the high-tech space, you know, the, the very future bleeding-edge stuff. You know, that's almost too hard to predict what's going on there because mm-hmm. it's forever. All we know, you know, especially you read like Ben Rich's book, the, you know, he built F-117 and was a big guy at Skunk Works with, after Kelly Johnson uh, ended his run there. You know, he says that it's they're they're like so far out in advance on the bleeding edge stuff. And some of that technology we may never see. It could right. be buried for decades before it ever comes to pass. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen this, especially in this arena. A lot of times files get lost and or possibly destroyed. And so there are many projects, I, I believe, in the past, you know, by working on FOIA and, and these instances where files are destroyed or lost. And um, some of these projects will just never come to light because nobody even remembers they happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was the guy that sort of had a Boeing release a bunch of stuff about Quiet Bird, which was um, a stealthy designed aircraft from like the 19th, early 60s, late 50s, before there was stealth, before wow. we even, you know, predates at least a decade and a half before we started seeing Lockheed Martin and all the other guys go and start to develop have blue and the F one seventeen, et cetera. So, you know, and when I went and we did this, even Boeing said they are missing a bunch of the records of mm-hmm. what happened, where it ended up, you know, um, that's part of it too. And, and also the airframes themselves, when they're done with them, you know, it's widely known that oh, they've been just buried in the desert. They just bury them out there. There's, they right. don't, there's too expensive for them to store them. There's not enough room. And they don't want to like demilitarize them, or you know, there's no way to really release them into the public domain. So they just bury them, yeah. you know, and that's it. Yeah. So, listen, we just know the tiny. T- I do this full time, okay. I, we just know of the tiny, tiny tip of the iceberg over what about what's been tested out there for the last thirty years. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a, that's mm-hmm. and that's an intriguing thought, you know. I mean, that's an amazing thing, but something to keep in mind when you look up at the night sky instead of jumping to oh my gosh, that doesn't look like a normal plane. So maybe it's, it's, it's got to be from another world or something else. You know, there's a lot that we don't know. And to the un, untrained eye, normal planes can look really weird under certain circumstances as well. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so interesting. I, I think, you know, even though we don't have the details of the investigations that uh, the Pentagon um, uh, conducted uh, to come to the conclusion that some of these objects that they observed were unknown uh they did say they concluded these also were not top secret exotic aircraft um so uh, i mean that holds a lot of weight when it's coming from from the department of defense at least they have uh you know they have come to the conclusion you know, that they have been able to rule them out in their investigation yeah but i gotta say this about that too is that at one time we hear that at the mm-hmm. same time you know, just recently, Putin did his, you know, little show of his super weapons he's building to try to basically, you know, um, render our defenses or missile defenses useless. OK. And one of the things that he was he, you know, revealed, which was new to us, new to me, who does this exclusively and my colleagues was a nuclear powered cruise missile that had right. infinite range. 
you know, and that they showed pictures of kind of what its pro- profile would be and go fly halfway around the world at low altitude, at high speed. That's a really great point. And Chris Mellon, uh, the guy who worked for uh, Intelligence, who wrote this Washington Post piece recently with the recent video that came out with the Department of Defense's program, he made the point that these are the reasons why we still don't know exactly everything the Russians and Chinese have. That's why we need to be looking and, and paying attention to these unidentified sightings. Right. And that's and so I'm, you know, in retrospect, I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, OK, but maybe they haven't tested it now. Then we just right after that, we hear that they our intelligence agencies have watched them test these craft hmm. and they've failed, supposedly. But th- it means it's a real project. It's not just a PowerPoint demonstration. This is right. something that they're investing money in test flying. OK, so I'm not saying that that was what those F-18 saw. OK, I'm not I'm not trying to make any conclusions. I'm just trying to say that there's a lot going on in the non-traditional propulsion, and that doesn't mean electromagnetic, you know, like anti-gravity, okay? This means like nuclear propulsion, and when it comes to hypersonics, um, you know, things that can fly within our atmosphere at Mach 6 plus. So what I'm trying to say to your to your listeners are is this, excuse me. The, the world that you look at, so let's say the sky that you look at, that world, that, that kind of that atmosphere that we see every day, and the things that fly through that atmosphere, it's changing. The profiles of those things that are man-made, the flight profiles are now morphing. There's going to be new potential things to be seen in the sky. And these things cover a lot of range really fast. So, you know, it's just something to keep in mind when you see something strange and it doesn't even fit any of your explanations. We are now moving into realms of flight that we haven't before on an operational basis. And that means we're going to be seeing some things we've probably never seen before. Mm-hmm. So we got to go to break now. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, this has already been just so extremely fascinating. Uh, those of you listening on KGRA will hear a couple minutes of commercials. Those on the podcast will hear a short musical interlude. And you'll, we'll be right back with Open Mind UFO Radio. Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I'm with Ty Rogaway. And before you left, just the last thing to touch on before we get into the cases, you talked about, uh, you know, this new Russian program that we just found out about, about these nuclear-powered uh, um, cruise missiles. Uh, and I was reading one of your stories. I believe it was your story. At least it was on the drive about Lockheed is working on these fusion, essentially, engines uh, where right. you could have craft in the air all day for for months or years. Yeah, um, this has been a story. You know, they they promoted this potential fusion reactor project that they're working on. This is the Skunk Works, same people that brought us stealth uh, technologies we know it today. Uh, you know, and the SR seventy one, etc. Um, they're working on this thing, and this is a, like a generator. You know, it's like a nuclear generator that can power a city. You know, a small city. Um, or it can be potentially loaded onto an aircraft, built into an aircraft, and replace satellites, you know, indefinite sort of range aircraft, that sort of thing. And so this was publicized in like 2014. They did kind of a, a big release on it that they're working on. And of course, this is like almost free energy, okay? So this is beyond game-changing. This isn't just cool airplanes. This is like 
the end of fossil fuels potentially as we know it. Okay. I mean, it's a big deal, you know? So, um, you know, and it kind of been, has been very quiet since then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, a friend, a colleague of ours over at flight global, uh, Stephen Trimble, he did a post on Twitter talking about, um, a patent he had found of this reactor, uh, that had just been issued. And so we obviously looked into it and it was pretty fascinating that they have received a patent on it. And, um, and it seems to be moving forward. We don't know, you know, there's there's other programs too internationally that are trying to achieve this this capability, but uh, we don't know how you know far along they are. It's gone, like I say, quite pretty quiet. But it, it's a story that we're definitely looking into uh, after we did that original post on the patent. Mm-hmm. Now, getting into these stories, uh, these essentially UFO stories, of course, UFOs, uh, you're using the term as the Air Force invented the term, and of course, as I use the term, as unidentified flying objects, not necessarily, you know, extraterrestrial in nature. Um, but your story, uh, this one from Oregon and California, uh, this incident that happened in October, even though this recent story you wrote about Arizona is getting a lot of the press, this Oregon, California one is, is pretty much is more exciting because jets were actually scrambled and there were a lot more people involved, witnesses. So maybe you can describe what happened. Right. You're 100% right on that. It is night and day compared to the Arizona story. Um, this is a, and, and from what I can tell, it's documented in such a way that I've never seen before for a, uh, a, a quote unquote UFO event. Um, but what happened was uh, just to break it down simply is on uh, October 25th uh, over Northern California, Oakland center, the radar controller spotted a, um, aircraft moving at very, very high speed. And we don't know exactly how high speed it is, but you can listen to the controllers talk about it. It wasn't normal. Okay. To the South. And then all of a sudden, this object, this craft, takes a hard um, left turn to the north. And by this time, we got controllers both in Oregon and in, uh, from Oakland Center talking about, like, what the heck is this? And it was not um, – it showed up on radar just at the beginning during that high-speed run to the south. And then after that, once it turned north, it disappeared. And it just did, didn't disappear intermittently, okay? We're talking about – over hundreds of miles and, you know, 40 minutes of time, this thing never showed back up on radar again, nor did it have a transponder working. Um, there is some confusion that potentially it was giving a transponder code for a moment, but we still haven't been able to work that out that from when it was originally spotted. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of pushing that off because we, it's, it's still hard to figure out exactly what was going on there. It definitely wasn't mentioned again after. Okay. And so this thing's heading north, and it's not communicating with radio, radar, uh, radio either with air traffic control. And so these controllers who spotted this are kind of dumbfounded, and they just kind of go to who's in the area locally that could spot it. You know, what aircraft are flying through that very busy corridor um, that goes between Seattle and, you know, California, basically. I mean, it's that's a really packed corridor of airplanes every day, all day, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they ask a pilot kind of went around Crater Lake in Southern Oregon. It's kind of where we're at, you know, spatially now at this point in time. And they say, hey, can you see an aircraft of any sort off your, you know, like one or two o'clock in front of you? And you can kind of tell they're asking this, probably not thinking they're going to get any report back, you know. And the pilot says, yep, I got him right there. I see him. He's out there. He's about at this, uh, maybe a couple thousand feet higher than we are. 
So between about 37 and 39,000 feet we're talking here, okay? So not some Piper Cub that's gotten lost. This <laughs> is a high-performance airplane that's actually outpacing the 737s that are flying around it, okay? And then we get another pilot that gets called out. Boom, he sees it. And then another one. So we have like three airplanes that have, are seeing this thing, and it, it keeps going. It continues on all the way up the Willamette Valley, and these airplanes have to start descending into Portland. So they lose, and it's, you know, the, the sun's going down now. It's getting dark, you know, it's around sunset time. And so eventually they lose sight of it as they descend into Portland International Airport. About the same period of time, F-15s get scrambled out of Portland, which we have an incredible unit out of one of the best F-15 squadrons in the world is based there. Okay. Mm. So with very power upgraded aircraft, the best equipment really kind of on an F-15 that you can have. And they get launched out and to look for him, this, this unidentified object. And there's some confusion of which direction they go, but regardless, uh, bottom line is they couldn't find it. Um, uh, they couldn't find him. They couldn't see where, you know, from the last point where it was being reported as these aircraft descended into Portland to maybe 15 or 20 minutes later that when these air, these F-15s were up, this, uh, this object was gone, uh, for all means and purposes. And what's so fascinating beyond just the incident I've explained is that we have not just the radio traffic that goes for, you know, I don't know, 45 minutes total, maybe on this 35 minutes total, um, and constant. Okay. About this sighting, continuous sighting and the confusion going on with it. But we also have all the phone calls that were made during that period of time. And they're amazing. They're between the FAA and the military, the FAA and, and FAA headquarters. They're interviewing the pilots afterwards, trying to figure out what this thing was. And the big wow. takeaway that I want to give your listeners, and please trust me on this, because if you don't listen to audio yourself, this is what you will walk away with. This doesn't happen often. This is not a common occurrence, even the FAA quality assurance at, uh, at the headquarters who deal with every issue that happens during the day, every weird, strange thing that happens in the, in the American airspace, you know, they get reported, uh, they get reports on it and they deal with it. They couldn't even figure out how to file this. And they were weirded out mm -hmm. by it. They could not even understand really. They were amazed to even say themselves. So like a UFO, this was like, <laughs> And what we, and as far as what the aircraft was, which I'm sure your audience is thinking, well, okay, so they saw something. What was it? The best report we got was from one of the pilots who was the closest to it at a time when the sun was pretty, you know, still pretty high up and had a good angle of light on it. It was a white aircraft of some sort or object of some sort, white in color. And when asked the size, he said it was not just some Learjet out there. It was large. It was a large aircraft of some sort. So it's not like this was just some old you know, 1970s Learjet that was stolen and had packed with cocaine and flown north, <laughs> which would be stupid to do it at that time anyway. Right. It was a larger aircraft. So that's pretty much the case of the Oregon, uh, the Oregon UFO. And um, to this day, you know, even with my like, defense contacts and military, military contacts, Nobody seems to understand what this thing was. Wow. And so uh, some of the unique properties or characteristics is that it, it f somehow was being tracked on radar and then wasn't disappeared 
on radar, even though it could be visually seen. Um, and then, and then after, you know, the, the, as you described after the, the witnesses pilots had landed in Portland and the jets were scrambled, it was gone. Yeah. And those jets, just to give you your viewers and I, or your listeners an idea of kind of what you're dealing with out of PDX, those F-15s now carry the most powerful air to air radar in the world. Okay. It's not like these are old air national guard jets that are, you know, from the 1970s and haven't seen an upgrade for 35 years. They have uh, an upgraded radar, and they also have an electro-optical targeting system that can look where that radar sees a target from long distance and identify it, capture video on it. So, you know, it's a very capable aircraft that you're talking about that went up to look for it. And Western Air Defense Sector, WADS, uh, it's also nicknamed Bigfoot, that controls that airspace, part of NORAD. They know that airspace so well. They've seen the weird things that happen up there. They, You know, those controllers know what they're doing. And you can hear them talking to the FAA on these phone calls, being like, we can't even get a lock on this guy either. We can't see him. You know, they're looking with all their capabilities as well, and they can't spot him. They just know he's there because the airliners are watching him. Mm. That's shocking. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, so one thing I think about with with a lot of these cases is, um, you know, during the Cold War, of course, the Russians would fly over us uh, with aircraft we couldn't get to, and you know, we couldn't do anything about it. Of course, that's what we were doing with the U two. We're like, ha ha, you know, we're flying over, taking pictures of you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Of course, they shot one down, so they proved yes, we can do something about it. But um, is it possible? Because uh, it, you know, I. The Cold War, I think, is a semantics thing. I don't know if it really ever ended. Is it possible the Russians would be trying to do something like that if they had maybe a, a new stealth technology fly over us, see if we can see it? Um, is that possible? Well, I'm not going to say anything is impossible because mm -hmm. I don't know what this thing was. Um, I'm going to tell you geopolitically and capability-wise, technologically, extremely unlikely mm. beyond beyond extremely unlikely, like next to zero percent, because you're basically flying in international airspace uh, without any contact at all, and you're doing so in a flight lane, and there's not really anything strategic around there to be doing it. Mm -hmm. um, really strange. And what's the message? Uh, you know, if, if we don't still know what it is, then it's just an unidentified aircraft. Um, also, technologically, that would mean that aircraft would have had to come all the way from Russia to do that meaning it would have needed tanking assistance and everything else, which, you know, we could spot. So, you know, there it doesn't seem to be the case. I wish it was almost because it would give us a, <laughs> uh, at least a better uh, answer. But once again, when I wrote this, we didn't hear about this nuclear-powered cruise missile either, you know, right. which, wouldn't, which would potentially do something like that. But then again, why on earth would you send it over the Northwest? And what's it? what's the purpose of that? And, I, you know, but listen, anything's possible. I've also posited that maybe this was an unmanned aircraft that was being tested up in the northern ranges in Nevada that went astray, and they were they lost contact with it, and it just cruised along and did its thing. Um, you know, we saw that. There is a precedent for that happening, uh, that the RQ-170 Sentinel, which is a stealthy, once again, a stealthy flying wing, it, uh, that's a surveillance drone, that fell right into the hands of the Iranians 2011 after mm -hmm. it went nuts. And, you know, did its own thing. And we know other past uh, shadowy circumstances around Area 51, especially where drones have either gone off the range or whatever, and they self-destructed. So 
it's very unlikely. Once again, I mean, it has to end up somewhere, right? So mm-hmm. kind of a, a bad explanation, but something I could say. Um, but yeah, the, the problem with this, honestly, is we just don't have any like good place to put our finger that says, okay, you know, 50% chance it's this or that. We just don't have anything like that that we can put forward that is something that is feasible to tell your audience to say, yeah, probably was X. I, I can't do it. Yeah, which is exactly how Elizondo, the guy who ran that DOD, um, you know, threat identification program, uh, explains it. He he says, you know, I can't say for sure what it is. I can't say for sure that it's not Russian or Chinese. But uh, as you put it, the probability, uh, given the performance and the nature of the craft, is is very, very, very unlikely. So uh, fast. So let's get into because we've only got like about five or six minutes left. Then the Arizona case. One thing I don't right. think was in the story um, was how you came across this uh, this situation. Right. So the Arizona case that happened, I believe it was February twenty eighth. Um, that came to me from a pilot. That was I don't even know the guy's name. Okay, mm-hmm. anonymous email that speaking very solidly, like he knew what he was talking about that said, Hey, I was in the area and we were listening. We were transiting the area. and We heard these wacky communications and it weirded me and my co-pilot out <laughs> and we have no idea who to ask. So if you can look into it, that'd be great. <laughs> and I, you know, with that, I said 90% chance I'm tossing this away until I just start looking into it. And I started corroborating a couple things and started building out these flights one by one that were kind of in this area and kind of narrowed it down to an area where they would have been during a a basic block of time. And uh, luckily, we have some interesting flight tracking tools that allow us to do that now more easily than just like from total scratch and radar telemetry or whatever you have uh, during that period of time. So at that point, I said, listen, we have enough here, I think, just to ask the FAA if they know about it. And, like, we got a guy there at uh, Albuquerque Center who went up to his, uh, to the head, uh, you know, the head manager there and said, hey, these guys say this happened. I've never heard anything about it. And he didn't hear anything about it either. But they reviewed some of the tape and they, boom, it was right there. So that's how that story came to be. And that's how we got the, um, the audio re- release so quickly. Mm-hmm. And this essentially was two witnesses, right? Uh, uh, to begin with, uh, the Learjet pilot, and then later on the American Airlines. And I guess, what did they describe? Right. So the Learjet pilot, they're both heading east, south of Tucson. Oh, excuse me, south of Phoenix. Okay, kind of down there um, between Phoenix and the border, and then heading toward the New Mexico border. That's a very active area for military operations, too. But beside that, the Phoenix Air Learjet, which they're a military contractor, they fly aggressor Learjets against our ships and our service-to-air missile batteries. So these guys are not your average Learjet pilots, okay? They've seen everything. Uh, they look up, and apparently something flew over them right above them that was the bright object that they – you can hear them on the, on the radio. They said it was no weather balloon, Okay at uh, about 37,000 feet, and the object was maybe 1,000 feet above them. I'm just guesstimating mm-hmm. kind of what, by the lingo we hear back and forth. And air traffic control is very cool about it. A few minutes later, they ask, it, and uh, I believe it was an American Airlines aircraft that was flying behind them, you know, 100 miles or so, and 
they say, hey, listen, just give us a shout if you see something pass over you. And they were kind of weirded out by that because, well, what? What would it be, you know? <laughs> but boom, they said, yep, just shot right over us, about 2,000 feet above us, and they were at 37,000 feet. And then you get this banter going back and forth between these pilots and this controller. And basically, even he was, one of the pilots was even asked, was it like a Google balloon? So that'd become like a weather balloon, you know? Mm-hmm. And he goes, uh, highly unlikely. Um, and so, you know, it was an odd deal. There is weather balloon traffic all over the United States. It does happen. I'm not saying it wasn't. Uh, one of the pilots said it was very bright. It was a very bright object, reflective. Um, but we just don't know what it was. I've had some information since I've done that report that seems like it was probably stranger than it was even reported originally, but I don't mm. want to get into that in detail at, the time, at this time. Right. Now, CNN, and I was wondering if you, if you knew about this, in their report, their conclusion was authorities have told us it was a balloon, but they didn't source that. They didn't say what authority or which authorities told them that. And given that they didn't even source the story at all, they, to, back to you, I'm a, I'm a little um, skeptical of, of the amount of due diligence they did in writing that story. Are you aware of any authorities that have claimed that? No. And more so than that, I don't know how much you can take to heart reporting that doesn't source the original source material on it. They never contacted me, even how I got it. And more so than that, uh, you know, somebody goes and writes a thing about Kanye West or about, uh, you know, uh, opioids or whatever. Then the next thing they're writing a UFO report, there's not there's no expertise there to even know what they're looking at and what Mm. they're what they're reporting on, you know, so. Listen, I reached out to them to try to see what the deal was with them not sourcing and, and like, what they're reporting, and they never got back to me. Right. I had people in the CNN organization get back to me that aren't affiliated, wondering what the hell was going on with it, because they don't know why they're not getting back to me and talking to me about it. Yeah. So, it is what it is. Hey, could have been a balloon. Listen, could have been. I mean, I, right. you know, there's different testing down there that, that do different types of weather balloons and payload balloons, but... If it's over a certain size, the FAA has to know about it. And these guys that are, especially the, some of the pilots that were flying, I think have quite a few hours that they could say, oh, you know, a balloon passed over us, you know, especially when they're looking for it. The second airplane actually was looking for this thing. It wasn't like it just happened. Right. You know, and they didn't say it. So, I mean, my, I would say in my gut, it's possible, very possible could have been a balloon, very possible could have been something else. And I have to also underline that, like I say, between like White Sands, New Mexico, all the way over to the ranges in, um, in by Yuma and the Goldwater Range, there's so much military traffic in that area. But you do not fly a secret project during the middle of the day like that to move it around. It does not happen. If they want to move something like that, they do it at night and they just call it Gulfstream 5 and nobody knows the difference. Hmm. Yeah, the other it's just I found it frustrating that um, – for some reason, uh, uh, many times the mainstream media, when dealing with this topic, don't find it necessary to do the due diligence they would do on any other story, and that their stories get tabloidish, where their accuracy is way off. Um, right, and, and it's fantasy to them, so right. it doesn't matter. You mm-hmm. know, it just doesn't matter to do that. You know, and so. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy for the FA to say, "I probably a weather balloon." That's fine. I could say that too, but. You know, it doesn't mean that it was, and it doesn't mean that it wasn't. Um, but I don't, I don't, they never told me that. They mentioned that there's aircraft, they mentioned there's a lot of military traffic in that area they deal with all the time. 
they mentioned that there's weather balloons to me. They mentioned a few different things. So they, they said the same thing. They don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it went from that to, hey, it's a weather balloon. Because they right. never gave him the identification or, or the origin of it or anything. So right. I, I don't know. Well, super interesting. We're out of time. Of course, uh, Tyler, Ty writes for The Drives, The War Zone. I highly, highly, highly recommend that you follow his stories. I think they're fascinating. And, of course, people can follow you on Twitter as well, right? Yeah. Uh, just uh, aviation underscore intel or just look up my name, Tyler Rogaway. I'm right there on Twitter. We have a lot of fun on there. Post a lot of interesting stuff, and thanks for dealing with me today, guys. I've been having a cold, so I, I probably sound like I'm a you know I'm some sort of a an alien <laughs> creature myself. And I appreciate yeah. you guys dealing with that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Ty for joining us on the show. Uh, I thought this was remarkable. It's excellent. It, it, we're so lucky to have someone like him, um, serious and in the mainstream, and with uh, his experience in dealing with defense issues, uh, interested in this topic and writing these incredible stories and finding these great cases from pilots and otherwise. It's incredible to hear that, you know, it's these pilots coming to him anonymously with these stories. So obviously these are things that impacted uh, these pilots uh, in a serious way where they couldn't figure out what was going on and uh, they want to share these stories. So it's great that Ty has been able to... um, do more research and discover more and share. And it's great to see you can hear uh, that he has a passion for this topic as well. And, you know, there's so many conspiracy theories about um, this and that and people being in the media paid off or or part of the government to hide things or, or all these other wild things. But it's really not so much that. It's more, you know, being able to feel comfortable in a space uh, to feel like people are going to be accepting of, of what you're sharing. And uh, hopefully we're in a point where the mainstream is more acceptable uh, of these uh, credible cases that do arise. So very exciting stuff. If you want to hear more about Ty or see his links to his stories, you can go to openminds.tv. You're going to see those in the headlines. I'll write more about these cases in uh, the very near future. And all the stories that Martin and I talked about, you can find there. Also, the UFO Congress. There's some cool videos. You know, a lot of the lectures from that conference are being posted at the open at the uh, UFO Congress video portal. So check that out. Just go to ufocongress.com, and you'll be able to see it there. Otherwise, stay tuned to openminds.tv for more episodes. So I want to thank Caleb Hanks for the opening and closed music, Systematics for the bumper music, and you, the listeners. Uh, until next time, adios muchachos.